Hello and welcome to the Imagining Freedom podcast. I'm Natalie and I live in the west of Scotland. I've been wanting to do this podcast for a while, but it was delayed by some major life events. It was always going to be about our rights and freedoms and the way we are governed, but recent events have made this a much more divisive issue. We are once again in a situation where we have a world crisis and as a result we're being expected to give up a lot of freedom. My country is under lockdown, a word I hate. But I am cooperating with it. We're allowed to go out once a day for shopping or exercise and when I go out I take great care to keep at least two metres away from anyone I encounter. My personal thoughts are that the lockdown is not a good idea because I think it will do enormous damage to the economy. And there are alternative ways to reduce the spread of this disease. And like everyone else, I would like to see the spread of this disease knocked back. The measures taken by places like Hong Kong, Taiwan and South Korea seem to have had more success in combating the spread of the virus without having lockdowns. And their businesses have been allowed to continue and survive. However, I am cooperating fully with the lockdown because the government has ordered it, because most people in the country think it's necessary and in order to make it work it requires everyone's cooperation including me and because I'm mature enough to know that I'm not always right. I've made many mistakes many times before and I'll probably make mistakes in the, in the future too. So I don't want to impose my will on every, any, on everyone else but I do want to have a discussion about this. I think these measures, if they are prolonged, could be open to serious abuse and I think that any democracy needs open discussion and debate about issues like this, even in times of crisis. If discussion and debate are stifled, then we're heading towards tyranny. A couple of days ago, I was quite surprised to find myself banned from commenting on YouTube after I tried to make a very, very inoffensive comment on a video about the UK coronavirus bill. The video was entitled UK Government Uses Coronavirus to Seize Police State Power and it was posted by an American channel called The Conscious Resistance. The video was saying that people in the UK weren't really aware of the drastic legislation that our government, our government was bringing in. I wasn't taking offence to this but I wanted to point out that I'm from the UK and that I had written to my MP objecting to many aspects of this bill. So this is a comment that I tried to post on YouTube in response to that video. I'm in the UK and I was alerted to this bill a week before it went to Parliament. I wrote a very measured email to my Member of Parliament objecting to the fact that it was for two years, the fact that it was expanding the Investigatory Powers Bill and the fact that it seemed to be paving the way to make vaccines mandatory and some other things. My MP did not even bother to reply. That is a state of democracy in the, in the UK. In any case, about four days after I emailed my MP, a, campaign, a campaigning group called Big Brother Watch asked people to write to their MPs about this and the upshot was that the bill would be reviewed after six months. So we're not all asleep in the UK, we're just being ignored by many of the politicians who are meant to be our representatives in Parliament. And that was my comment that I was unable to post. I think it must have triggered some banned keywords or phrases. I kept trying to post it, but it just wouldn't appear. And then I tried posting a much shorter comment instead, 
but that wouldn't post either. I didn't want to seem paranoid, so I started to think it might be a technical fault. I checked different browsers, but the comment wasn't there. I emailed the Conscious Resistance who had posted the video in the first place. I thought they might be able to see my comment, awaiting review or something. I got a reply from them, and it did seem that my comment really had not been posted. I wasn't imagining things. What really disturbed me about this was that it, it was the algorithms that had banned my comment, the bots in other words. YouTube had stated on its website a while ago that it would probably be banning more videos because of staffing shortages due to the coronavirus crisis. When I went to YouTube's help centre, there was no way to, con to contact them directly about it. The only option was to post a query on their community forum. I did a search and I found that this issue was clearly a common one. But what really struck me was that there were no solutions or explanation offered to any of the queries. Most community forums are monitored by staff members who offer advice, but YouTube doesn't seem to have this, or at least not for this type of issue. YouTube is owned by Google, which is a private company, so I suppose they can choose to publish what they like. But this is also a company with enormous global influence, and the fact that censorship is being applied in this way is, in my opinion, very concer concerning. There are many alternatives to YouTube like DTube, 3Speak and BitChute, for example. In many ways, they are like YouTube was in the early days. At this stage, they don't have the variety of subject matter that YouTube has, and in order to get that variety, they need ordinary people, the content creators, to upload their work. I use some of these alternative platforms, and I've uploaded videos to some of them. But the reason I still love watching YouTube is because it still has the best videos, and I'm making a point here, so please bear with me. I love, I love climbing and bouldering and mountaineering, and there are some excellent videos showing these subjects on YouTube, but not so many on the other channels, certainly not of the same quality. Those are my personal interests, but there are many other things too, excellent videos on all sorts of subjects, sometimes going back years often to the days when YouTube was an independent company. I wish some of those content creators would post their videos on other channels, as some of the independent media journalists are doing, often posting on multiple channels. This is not because I want to take vengeance against YouTube. It's because I don't like centralisation. I prefer a world where there are many healthy businesses, other than one where there's just a few all-powerful corporate entities making their own laws and using undiscerning robots to randomly punish anyone they don't approve of, without even feeling the need to give a reason. My little YouTube commenting ban was relatively trivial in the great scheme of things, and it was lifted after 24 hours. But it's a precedent, a warning of what might be ahead if we just shrug our shoulders and allow these things to happen. I'm really using this incident as an analogy because I think that if we're spending time vilifying the people in power, we're really wasting our energy. The real power lies within us, in each one of us. And I hope you understand my analogy. If more content creators posted their videos on independent channels, as well as YouTube, these channels would become real viable alternatives and hopefully everyone would thrive. There would be healthy competition. We wouldn't have the situation where one massive company dominates everything and can suddenly reduce or even remove the monetization of its con content creators on a whim 
or just destroy their channels or prevent people from commenting without even telling them why. And I think this applies on a wider scale too. There are many situations where we, as individuals, can make a real difference if we weren't too frightened to do so or if we didn't think that we were too little to do so. A lot of people have this sort of inferiority complex. Many of us have this strange re relationship with people in authority. We project our problems onto them. We think that they can sort everything out, almost as if they're superhuman. But in reality, they are just flawed human beings like us. People think that by voting, they've done their duty as a citizen to make a better world. But we need to vote with our feet, with our spending money, with our actions, with our minds every single day. I feel as if I'm a bit out on a limb in these strange times. I'm really sad that people have died from this disease, especially the hospital staff and the carers who have died after catching it while they were caring for the elderly and the sick. I've taken great care not to unwittingly spread the disease to others. I haven't been ill myself as far as I know, but there's always a chance that I could be a carrier. However, for me personally, I don't feel very worried about coronavirus. If I get it, I get it, and I hope that I recover. I'm much more concerned about a more centralised, even tyrannical global government coming out of this. Maybe it's because I grew up in the 1960s and 70s and I was always hearing about the horrific persecutions of the Jews and other minorities during the Second World War. My mum was brought up in Yorkshire and her parents, although they weren't churchgoers, they were involved in the adult school movement which was linked to the Quakers. And it was through this movement that they heard about persecutions happening, happening in Germany and they took in Jewish refugees before and during the Second World War. My mum absorbed their stories and when I was growing up, me and my sister were often told about the horrors that these people had experienced. My mum used to read a lot of books about people who had been per persecuted during the war and she used to pass them on to me and my sister. My parents used to take us on camping holidays in Europe when we were kids and the Germans always seemed to be just as friendly as the French and the Dutch. I always used to wonder why the Germans had allowed the Nazis to become so powerful. And it's still something that bothers me, but I've read a lot more about it since I was a child. Germany was in many ways a very progressive country in the 1920s, although the rural areas were probably much more conservative. Women were allowed to vote in Germany from 1919, and by 1932 there were 112 women elected to the Reichstag. There was a museum of sexology. There were great advantages in, uh, sorry, there were great advances in architecture with the Bauhaus designed by Walter Gropius. There was a lot of intellectual and cultural activity. And then just a few years later, the Nazis came to power and the most violent and repressive episode in recent Euro European history unfolded with millions of people losing their lives, often in horrific ways. How was this allowed to happen? And how can we prevent it ever happening again? I don't think the Germans were any different from the rest of us. There was a lot of anti-Semitism in Britain in the 1920s too. There are so many different reasons why the Nazis came to power. And I'm not going to start discussing them now. I just think it's important to remember that these things can happen, even in the most culturally advanced places. We should never take our peace and our freedoms for granted. 
And that's why I wrote the letter to my MP on the 18th of March, a week before the coronavirus bill was to be read in Parliament. This is the letter I wrote. Dear Martin Doherty, as one of your constituents, I'm very concerned about the emergency coronavirus bill as it introduces sweeping powers that could remain in force for two years. I understand the need to protect the vulnerable from, it, from a new virus and to prevent hospitals and hospital staff from being overwhelmed. Most people, including myself, have made and are making extraordinary changes to our lifestyles in order to cooperate and to prevent the spread of the new virus. But this bill relaxes some of the safeguards we've built up in this country to prevent certain abusive, abuses of human rights. These are measures that have kept our country relatively peaceful and civilised and which have made it a place that people want to visit and to escape from persecution. For example, the expansion of the Investigatory Powers Commission. I don't understand why increasing powers for electronic intelligence gathering is a necessary part of containing a new virus. Allowing, and this is in quotes, the police and immigration officers to detain a person for a limited period who is or may be infectious and to take them to a suitable place to enable screening and assessment, close quotes. On the face of it, in the current circumstances, this seems perfectly reasonable, but in fact it is so vague as to allow significant human rights abuses. What exactly is a suitable place? How long is a limited period? In effect, this could make it perfectly legal for someone to be jailed indefinitely for having an allergy and sneezing in public. The relaxation of requirements for registering a death and allowing cremations to proceed, which surely could have an impact on inquests. In quotes, the removal of a restriction in how Scottish territorial health boards can deliver vaccination programmes so a wider range of healthcare professionals in Scotland would be able to administer a vaccine, close quotes. It is not made clear exactly what this restriction is, but I fear that this could introduce mandatory vaccination. I am not an anti-vaxxer. I always take the recommended vaccinations when travelling abroad. However, I choose not to have the flu vaccine, and I strongly believe that vaccination should be a matter of personal choice. Maybe this is because my mother was administered thalidomide when she was pregnant with me. She took it for a few days and then heeded my grandmother's instinctive advice and thankfully stopped taking it. If she'd not had that freedom of choice, I would probably be either severely disabled or dead. Personal choice is not always the right choice, but I believe we should have the freedom to make our own mistakes. Emergency legislation can lead to the dismantling of the checks and balances that have made Britain the country that people like to live in. I don't believe it should ever be put in place for more than a month without serious scrutiny and full parliamentary procedure. As one of your constituents, I would ask that you make objections to this undemocratic avoidance of parliamentary procedure for a bill that is to be in place for two years. Yours sincerely, Natalie Minnis. I got no response from my MP, apart from a standard email saying that he was too busy to respond. I've seen this email before because I've written to him before and every single time I've received the same standard email in response. Anyway, the coronavirus bill is now to be reviewed every six months, which shows that actions taken by ordinary people can make a difference in the political process. And presumably it wasn't just my letter, but many other letters 
that made that difference. Members of Parliament are meant to be our representatives in government. This is one of the hallmarks of the, the democratic process. And that's why the place where our MPs sit and debate is called the House of Commons, because we are the Commons. Unfortunately, I think de democracy has become deeply flawed. I've felt this for many years, and as a result, I've been drawn towards various types of peaceful anarchism, like voluntaryism and agorism. I tend to think that the best way to bring about change is to reform the situation that we already have. And I think that there are many ways of doing that. I'll be looking at some of these in the coming episodes. If you'd like to make any comments about what I've said, or if you'd like to see a transcript of my words, then please go to my website at imaginingfreedom.co.uk. Thanks for listening. <laughs>